tonight we're finishing up our class on resist. And I have really enjoyed this study, and not only the study itself, but also having conversations with you uh, after class and, and throughout the week, uh, just talking about this idea of, of resisting, resisting, we've talked about resisting Satan, re resisting the devil, resisting the flesh, and resisting the world. I want to one more time remind us of the quote that we've sort of been working from, from John Mark Comer's book, uh, Live No Lies, that says, the devil's primary stratagem, or his strategy, to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas, that is lies, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires, that is our flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society. So the devil's strategy to drive the individual soul and collectively society into ruin is to tell deceptive ideas or lies that play to our disordered desires, that is, they play to our, our flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society. And I, I want to specifically talk about one particular sin, not because necessarily this necessarily applies to you, but as an example, and then sort of extrapolate from there to, to just kind of remind ourselves this sort of thing that we're talking about. The thing I want to talk about for just a minute tonight is pornography. And I want to think about this quote and how something like pornography, and again, you can apply this to other things. We can go back to, the, to that quote. But, but just think about this quote as it pertains to, as it pertains to pornography. When we talk about the idea of lies, does pornography tell people a lie? Yes. It distort, we, we defined lie as a distorted version of reality. That's exactly what pornography is. It's exactly what fantasies are. It's a distorted version of reality. So we could say that behind those lies, behind the lies of pornography that say this is what you deserve or this is what you have or this is what you can have, behind those lies are forces of evil in the unseen realm and that these lies play to our disordered desires. They play to our flesh. We have, we have good desires, desires for intimacy, desires for love, desires for connection, desires for family. But then because of sin, those desires are, are twisted, aren't they? So that when, when we are lusting and when these lies play to our lust or to our voyeurism, then these are disordered desires that, that again lie to us and, and say that if you, if you look at this, or if you fantasize about that, or if you indulge in this way, then it will, it will fulfill you in some way. But it, it doesn't fulfill you, does it? In fact, it becomes, it becomes more and more toxic. And, and we talked about, again, we can apply it to one particular sin like pornography, or we can apply it to lots of different things. But we talked about how this is the way that sin corrupts us. Because we, we, we look at something one time, and perhaps the first time somebody feels guilty about it, and I, I shouldn't have done that, but then we, we do that thing, again, whether it's looking at pornography or telling a lie or, or being sarcastic and rude and cutting people down, whatever it is, we do that once, 
And then we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And as we've said several times, you are what you repeat. And the things that you do over and over and over again, then not only are you doing something that is corrupted, but you are becoming corrupt. That corruption is becoming your character. And, and those cycles become toxic and self-destructive. And then there's also the element of it becomes normalized in a sinful society. And that's not just our society, it's every society. That's what the Bible calls the world. All, all human societies in which what is good is called evil. And what is evil is called good. And these evil things become normalized in our society so that we don't even really stop to think about it. Wait a second, is this, is this good? Is this right? Is this pure? Is this lovely? Is this an excellent thing? Is this worthy of being praised? And it's amazing how over time, when enough people become desensitized to sin and, and normalize sin, where a whole society can do something that is horrific, but not even realize that they're doing something horrific. As it pertains specifically to pornography, listen to some of these statistics. These, this comes from a Barna study. When teens and young adults talk about porn with friends, 89% of teens and 95% of young adults say that they do so in, it's in a neutral, accepting, or encouraging way. In other words, only one in 20 young adults and one in 10 teens say their friends think viewing pornography is a bad thing. This was, this was a few years ago. So that when they talk about it, it's, it's not even something that they talk about as something that has any sort of negative connotation attached to it at all. That, that this is just normal, normal. Another statistic, teens and young adults now view not recycling as more immoral than viewing pornography. 32% say that viewing porn is usually or always wrong compared to 56% who say not recycling is usually or always wrong. That's not a commentary on recycling or not recycling. It's a commentary on the fact that we have, as a society, gotten to the point where we think it is normal and acceptable and not wrong to watch other people be naked and engage in sexual activity together and for us to fantasize about those things. And we have gotten to a point as a society where it has become normal and accepted. A survey conducted by the Barna Group revealed that 68% of Christian men and 50% of pastors view pornography regularly. See, again, it's one thing when we talk about what the world does. It's another thing that when the world's normal becomes the church's normal too. And where we become conformed, this is what Romans 12 says, isn't it? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what we talked about two weeks ago, that the church is supposed to be this countercultural community where what we normalize here is what is actually good. What we call good is actually good. What we call evil is actually evil. Where we don't allow the world's definition of good and evil to warp and pervert our way of thinking. 
That's easier said than done, though, isn't it? It's easier said than done. And this is the way that Satan operates. Because he operates not just on a personal, individual level, because he, he, his lies are influencing you, but he, he also works on a societal level as well. So that as a group of people, as the world, they normalize, we normalize what is, what is wrong and destructive and corrupting. So that after a while, there's no, there's no social consequences to saying something or doing something that's, that's wrong and destructive and hurtful and harmful, and sinful. And we don't even recognize it as being wrong anymore. And again, we have to constantly be on guard. And again, it's really easy for us to think about something that someone else struggles with. So maybe pornography isn't your struggle, but maybe it's, maybe it's getting angry. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's, maybe it's being critical and rude and tearing people down. Again, all of those things, do you see how it all operates on those three different levels? These lies, these lies that are demonic, these lies that play to our disordered desires, that, are, that it's, it's in me, that there's something in me, in my feelings, in my affections, in my desires, in my passions, that's twisted and perverted and wrong. And these lies come to me and say, Wes, if you, if you do this, if you, if you fulfill that, if you go there, if you say this, if you do this thing, then you'll find what you're looking for. And it's a, it's a lie. But it becomes easier, it becomes easier for me to believe that lie, for you to believe that lie, when it seems like everybody's doing it, right? When it seems like everybody's doing it, when it seems like, well, that's, that's, just, the, that's just the way the world works. No doubt, no doubt, that, that's the way the world works. No doubt, that's the way the world works. No doubt, lying is the way the world works. No doubt, being rude and hurtful and, and, and critical and, and losing your temper and getting, no doubt, that's, that's the way the world works. But we are supposed to be humanity 2.0. We are supposed to be these different kind of people. And we can't be on our own. We tried and we failed. I tried and I failed. You tried and you failed. We cannot be on our own. But I want to end this series the same way that we began this series by saying you can resist temptation. You can resist temptation. And I hope that you've already seen that happening in your life. I, I, I've seen that happening in my life. Where things that we've actually been struggling with, we're starting to make progress on doesn't mean you're perfect or that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't struggle because you will continue to struggle. The, the point isn't, you, you'll get to the point where it's no longer a battle. The point is, do battle. Do struggle. Fight. Fight for your life because your life depends on it. And the life of the people around you depend on it. Let's look at a few passages of scripture. James chapter 4 and verse 7. I don't know that we've read that as a part of this series or not. We may have, but it's, it's where I got the title for this class. James says in chapter 4 and verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a, that's a good promise, isn't it? Submit to God, 
and resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that word resist, we're going to see the, the same word, the same Greek word later when we look at Ephesians. But that word means to oppose, withstand. It's like arranging yourselves. It's like troops arranging themselves in battle against an enemy. Resist the enemy. This isn't a passive word. It's an active word. It's not necessarily that we're going on the offense like chasing Satan down, but we're standing our ground and we're not giving in. We're not backing down. We're not being conformed. We're standing our ground. We're resisting him. We're resisting him in the truth. If the devil tells lies, and that's his very nature, he's a liar, and he's been a liar since the beginning, then we have to be people of truth. We have to be people that speak the truth and believe the truth, even the truth that we don't want to believe. Even the truth that, that hurts, even the truth that's hard, we have to be people of truth and resist the devil with the truth and in the truth. We are fighting but, but here's the thing, the demonic forces, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. Even the people in the world are not the world, right? The world is, is this, this group, the, the society. The, the world isn't your neighbor. Your neighbor may be in the world, but your, your neighbor is not the world. You have to love your neighbor, you have to love your neighbor. Even when your neighbor's worldly, you have to love your neighbor. You have to care for your neighbor. Your neighbor very well may be a prisoner of war. A prisoner of war. They're not your enemy. They're a prisoner of your enemy. You have to look beyond what they're saying and what they're doing and see the enemy behind your enemy and realize that this person, they're not really your enemy. They may be fighting against you. They may hate your guts for all I know. But they are not your enemy. Your battle isn't with them. You, you may look out and see people in the world and you don't like what they're doing. You don't like what they're saying. You don't like how they're voting. You don't, know, you don't like what they believe. Okay, but those people are not your enemy. Your enemy is, is the forces of evil and darkness in the unseen realm. And these people are prisoners of war. And you've got to love them. Love them, speak truth, be truth, live a countercultural way so that they can, at the very minimum, so that they can see that there is an alternative. So that when they're tempted to believe, well, every, everybody does this. They say, everybody but, but him, everybody but her. I do know one person that doesn't live like that. I do know one person that doesn't talk like that. I do know one person who doesn't, hate and isn't bitter and isn't angry and doesn't yell and cuss and scream. I, I know one person that doesn't cheat on their spouse. I know one person that doesn't look at pornography. I, I know one person. It seems like everybody else does, but that person, what if, what if we could be that? that does, again, that doesn't mean we, we are or have to be perfect. They can see a struggle too. They can see that we're trying to, to live differently. But again, the point here is that you can resist the devil. James doesn't say, well, it's, it's useless, it's hopeless to resist the devil. You're only human, you're going to give in. That's not what he says. He says, resist, fight, fight like your life depends on it. Arrange yourself against, against his schemes and he will flee from you. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. 
Ephesians 6, 10, 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what's the word? Stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. This is a different Greek word here, but it's a similar idea. Stand against is like resist. Resist him. Stand against the schemes of the devil. It means hold your ground. We are resisting Satan's attack. And part of resisting is just knowing that it's happening. Just recognizing, I am being lied to. I mean, part of believing the truth is just recognizing when you're being lied to. Just recognizing that. Recognizing that Satan is lying to us. Our flesh is lying to us. The world is lying to us. And recognizing when that happens, when you're being led in a way that you think, I really want to do that. I really want to look at that. I really want to say that. I really feel this way. And just stop and say, am I being lied to? Am I being lied to by Satan? Are are my disordered desires being played on? Am I being conformed to the world? Or am I being transformed by the renewing of my mind? And so again, Paul says, with with the help of God, with the spirit living inside of you, you can stand. You can stand against the schemes of the devil. You you don't have to give in. This isn't a futile battle. It's not in vain. You can withstand his attacks. That's good to know, isn't it? Because so often we, we convince ourselves, what's the use in trying? And sometimes when we say, I I really struggle with X, what we really mean is, I do X a lot. That's not what that should mean. When we say, I really struggle with X, whatever X is, what we should mean is, sometimes I do that, but most of the time I don't. All the time I want to, but most of the time I don't. I struggle. I fight. I, I try not to give in to that. That's my desire. That's what I want to do. But I don't give in to that all the time. I'm fighting against it. If every time you're tempted with something, you just go ahead and do it, maybe don't call that a struggle because you're not really struggling, right? You're not really fighting. We can fight against these temptations. And we talked about some of the ways that we, we have to recognize that it's with the Spirit's help. This isn't what we do on our own strength. When Paul talks about standing against the devil's schemes, It's about being filled with the Spirit. It's about spending a lot of time in prayer and knowing the truth and allowing the truth of Scripture to shape us and form us. It's fellowship. It's confessing our sins and our struggles to each other. That's one of the biggest things. If you're you're struggling with something, if you're tempted in some way, tell somebody about it. Take what you've been doing in the darkness and drag it out in the light. Deal with it. Maybe talk to a professional about it. Maybe talk to somebody that's been there before about it. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Pray with each other. Praise, praise. Singing songs of praise helps us to be filled with the Spirit. We cannot cannot bootstrap our way through this. You've tried to stand against his schemes by your own power. That doesn't work. But it can work, and it does work when you do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can stand against 
the devil's schemes. Look down at verse 13, Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That, that word withstand in verse 13, withstand in the evil day, that's the same word as in James 4 and verse 7. Resist, resist. The evil day is coming. Day of temptation is coming. The day where you're really going to struggle is coming. And you can, if you will put on the armor of God, truth, salvation, righteousness, if you put on his armor, if you stand in his strength, if you stand in his power, if you're filled with his spirit, you can resist on the evil day. You can resist when temptation comes. And isn't that good to know? I mean, so often we just kind of make each other feel like it's all futile, that you're just going to struggle, you're just going to give in, you're just going to sin, you're just going to mess up. I mean, it's like, who wants a coach that tells us that before we go play a game? You know, you're, you're, you're going to lose. You know, it's, it's hopeless. You're not going to succeed. You're not going to score any points. Nonsense. The one who is with us is stronger than the one who is against us. If you stand in the strength and the power of the Spirit of God, you can resist the devil's schemes. Again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect or that every time you're going to, you're going to win this, this battle. You, we are going to struggle. It is going to be a fight. It's never going to be easy. But fight, struggle, stand, withstand, resist, oppose, put on the armor, fight, fight like your life depends on it. And it, it's amazing what can happen. Satan will flee when we stand in, his, in God's strength. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read through uh, verses 1 through, we'll go through about verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Now, just a little context. The Corinthian church... <laughs> The Corinthian church, I mean, again, I, I, I always like to say about the Corinthians that this isn't your grandmother's church. This is more like a, like a biker bar church. I mean, th these, these guys, I mean, Corinth was rough. Like, it was rough. And these people came from a rough pagan background. Pagan background. I mean, the same letter, Paul is addressing the fact that they had one of their members who was shacked up with his stepmom. We don't know all the details except that that was going on. And apparently nobody was saying anything about it. And they were all kind of proud of it for some reason. I mean, this, this was a church that th these members were still struggling with eating at idols' temples maybe. Or eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. And, and sort of flirting with idolatry that they had come out of to one degree or another. And I mean, it was, it was kind of a mess. And so they're asking questions and they're pushing back and they're kind of arguing with some of the things that Paul has told them. But here's what Paul says, chapter 10 and verse one. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. He's talking about the, the Israelites who came out of Egypt in the Exodus. They were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, 
With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So he's, he's drawing them back to the Hebrew scriptures. He's drawing them back to the Exodus story and saying, our fathers came out of Egypt and they were in the sea and in the cloud. They were baptized into Moses. Now, why is he saying that? Because he wants them to understand they were God's chosen people too. Just, just like you're God's chosen people. These are our spiritual fathers. And they were God's chosen people. God chose them. God delivered them. God saved them. They, they were baptized into Moses. They were sealed. They, they came through and they were God's special people. Just like you're God's special people. And, and Christ, who's the rock, he fed them. He gave them drink. He, he protected them and he provided for them and he nourished them and he gave them life. And after all that, after they'd seen all that, experienced all that, been through all of that, he said most of them, most of them, God was not pleased with them for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They, after everything that they had been through, they still fell away. They didn't stand. They didn't withstand. They didn't resist. They didn't stand strong. They gave in and they were corrupted and they fell in the wilderness. He goes on, verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. You see some of the things he's mentioning? Don't desire evil. Don't be idolatrous. Don't be sexually immoral. The people that came out of Egypt, they fell into these sins. And they were lost. Don't think because you've been baptized that, that you can't be lost. He says the Israelites, they were baptized too in the sea. They were baptized into Moses and they were lost. Don't think that because you've been nourished by Christ that you can't be lost because they were nourished by Christ too and they were lost because they desired evil because they worshiped idols, because they were sexually immoral, because they indulged their appetites. Don't fall into the same traps. Look at what they did. Look at what they experienced. Look at what the consequences were and learn from their mistakes. These things were written for our example so that we don't follow in their same path, so that we do better than that, so that we resist, so that we take advantage of who we are and, and the power that's been given to us. Look at verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Do not put Christ to the test. I mean, was it because maybe they were eating this, these idols' foods and thinking, I mean, that, what else am I supposed to do? It's, it's just it's the city I live in. I live in Corinth. I mean, where else am I supposed to get food except the idol's temples? And, you know, I mean, who cares? Who cares who it's been sacrificed to? Who cares where it came from? I'm just going to eat whatever. I know it came from this, and I know it's been associated with that, but who cares? And Paul said, you better care. 
You better care how you're living and what you're eating and what you're doing. And don't put Christ to the test and think, well, I've been baptized, so I'm not going to be destroyed. I, I've, I've drank from the rock. I've eaten from the rock. I've been nourished by Christ. So had they. Learn from their mistakes. Don't put Christ to the test. Don't grumble. When we, when we have to resist temptation, when we have to, when we have to oppose Satan, it can get really exhausting sometimes, can't it? And we can think, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that has to struggle like this. I'm the only one that has to say no. I'm the only one that has to do the hard thing. Everybody else is taking the easy path. Everybody else is taking the shortcut. Why me, God? Why can't I just do what I want to do? Everybody else is going this way and doing these things. And this is, this is just the way the world operates. And again, that's not to make light of their situation or ours. Because it can be hard, can't it? To live in the world and not be of the world. It can be incredibly hard. To think, if I don't do this, I may lose my job. If I don't do that, I may lose relationships. I may lose friendships. Why not just go along to get along? And then when we realize I can't go along to get along, then we grumble and complain and say, it's not fair, why me? Why do I have to live like this? And Paul reminds them of the people in the, in the wilderness. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. What you're going through, you're not the only one to be going through it. You're not the only one to go through it. Every time you're tempted, there's someone else for us to think that we're the only one. And I know that it's easy for us. The lie says, hey, listen, you know, you're on God's team. He's not, he's not going to be mad at you. He's not going to punish you. You're not going to be lost. You're not going to be cut off. If you just do what you want to do, just go along with everybody else. But Paul says, listen, if you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. And every time you're tempted, you're not tempted beyond what other people are tempted. But here, here's the, the encouragement. With God's help, you can stand. With God's help, you can escape. With God's help, you can endure. You see those? Escape and endure and stand. You can. The lie says you can't. Here, here's what the lie says. The lie says, given the situation, you really don't have a choice. You heard that lie? You've heard that lie come from your own mind, from your own heart. Given the situation, you, you really don't have a choice. I know it's, it's not what's best. It's not what's good. It's not what your mama told you to do. But given the situation, you don't really have a choice. You have to do things this way. Everybody is doing things this way. This is the way the world works. This is what you have to do. It's the lesser of two evils. But the gospel says something different. The gospel says, the truth says, God is faithful to provide the way of escape and the ability to endure. Isn't that good news? 
Isn't that good news? When, when you are tempted to believe that, I don't have a choice. Nonsense. Nonsense. You do have a choice. There is always a way of escape. There is always a way to not give in to this temptation. There is never a good excuse to do a wrong thing. Do the right thing. Even when it's hard, even when nobody else is doing it, even when you don't want to do it, do what is right, do what is good, do what is excellent. Follow Jesus and know and trust that God is faithful to provide a way of escape and the strength to endure. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He will provide a way of escape. He will provide the strength and the ability to endure. I don't know about you, but I, I need to repeat that truth over and over and over again to myself. That when I'm tempted and I think, you deserve this. Or when I'm tempted and the lie says, you don't have a choice. Or the lie says, it's not a big deal. Just, just this one time. When the lie says these things, remember the truth. And the truth is God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. God is faithful and he will provide a way of escape so that you are able to endure. You do not have to give in to temptation. So don't resist, struggle, fight, do what's good do what's right. And don't do it by your own strength and power. Do it relying on this truth that God is faithful. He gives us the ability to endure. Let's pray. Father God, in and of ourselves, we are so very weak. We are susceptible to being deceived and even to deceiving ourselves. And Father, we have done that so very much. Father, help us to be done. To be done easily giving in to sin and being pushovers to the lies of Satan. Help us, Father, to resist, to oppose, to withstand, to stand firm in your strength, by your power, filled with your spirit, knowing that you're faithful. Help us, Father, to be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.